We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the Start Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-host this week, as usual, is Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. And as usual, by this stage, we also have Harrison Keeley back. Hi. He is a um, uh, host at large for The Truth Perspective, which airs on Saturday evenings on the SOT Radio Network. So um, that's his background. Anyway... We are, um, this week we are talking about <clears throat> stuff that's been going on in the world over the past week or so, and as usual we usually go back into history to find out what it all means, if it's not clear already. Um, this week we've had the final report on what really happened to MH17 last uh, July, and that comes from the authorities in Holland. What what really happened as opposed to what really happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That comes from the Dutch authorities in Holland, who are known for their objectivity and impartiality, particularly when dealing with a topic that could in some way damage Russia's reputation. Other than that, we have the ongoing, speaking of Russia, the ongoing Russian uh, war on actual, real, honest-to-God terrorism in Syria. Terrorism in the form of ISIS, or whatever you want to call them. Mercenary, head-chopping, jihadi nutjobs. John McCain's boys. John McCain's friends. Mercenaries for empire paid goons, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Take your pick from that. Uh, Jihadi hipsters. Jihadi hipsters without their beards. Um, There's also been some other little bits of news here and there. We'll get into those. But um, other major, broad, global-scale kind of events have been um, or will be the Chinese leader's upcoming visit to the UK. <clears throat> and right now, this weekend, when is it? Uh, Sunday. Today's Sunday. When are, when are Canadian elections? The 19th. Canadian elections are tomorrow, uh, Monday the 19th. Uh, that's when uh, another nut job, uh, this time a Western nut job, uh, Stephen Harper, the current incumbent Prime Minister of um, Canada is up for re-election along with a host of other also runs. Um, so we'll maybe have a word or two on that, but that'll be about it because that's all Canadian politics really deserves in a certain sense. Although, if you check out our website, SOT.net, you will see at the top of the page an article that will give you a lot more details on uh, the Canadian 
elections for the Canadian political system and the candidates and why they are the candidates and who might have been the candidates and why they are not the candidates. Uh, that was written by Timothy Trepigny, a Soft.net editor. So, what are we going to kick off with? The Rugby World Cup, maybe? Uh, no. No, go let's, ahead. Let's leave that to uh, some other show. Yes, that's our sports sports brief later on. <laughs> MA17 report. Three basic conclusions. One. It was shot down with a Buk 9M38 missile that hit the airplane. Two, the missile exploded on the left side of the plane. Three, the missile may have been fired from Kiev-controlled territories. Mm-hmm. What are your comments on that? What do you mean it may, it may have been fired from Kiev-controlled territories? Well, so that's a conclusion you can draw from it because they didn't say they weren't able to say where it was fired from. They gave two possible areas. Yeah, and they, one of which is inside Rebel Hell territory, one is not. Yeah, and they couldn't. Um, well, they wouldn't. Well, they couldn't officially. Okay. Not that they would officially. Yeah. Um, officially, they couldn't say where it came from. So that's where that's why they're focusing on the fact that the Ukrainian government, the Kiev junta, at the time that was recently shunted into power by a Washington coup. Uh, in February uh, last year, they did not close the airspace over Ukraine, which over that part of Ukraine, eastern Ukraine, which was at the time a war zone. Everybody knew it. So the report, in terms of blame, to the extent that it can apportion or is willing to apportion blame, it seems to be focusing on the Ukrainian government and saying you didn't close your airspace over a war zone and therefore the plane got shot down. Of course, that's a kind of secondary blame, if you want to call it that. Uh, there is, of course, a criminal investigation that it supposedly uh, has supposedly begun by some other branch of Dutch bullshit artists uh, who are with a little help from who are going to blame Russia uh, if they possibly can. Uh, they're going to find Putin's fingerprints on everything. To clarify, this was a Dutch safety board report, Mm -hmm. and it was tasked with looking only into the technical details about the crash. A separate probe is being carried out by this joint investigation team. Yes. And that will supposedly determine by the end of this year who was actually responsible for the incident. Well, they're saying no. They're saying it'll go into next year, probably which means it's open-ended, basically, because so, they don't really know what they're doing and they're making it up as they go along. So they can't really give any definite conclusions because it depends on the extent to which they can fabricate the evidence whether or not they will reach a conclusion. You know, it's hard. Did the Russian government dispute this report, this technical report? Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. However, I noticed that RT more or less presented the findings as a given. Mm-hmm. They didn't mock them or completely try to trash them. I.e. they went along with the basis that it was a book. <clears throat> yeah. Although we know damn well it wasn't a book. Well, well, we, we don't know damn well that it wasn't a book. Let's not go that far. Well, well there's no evidence for it being a book. Well, is there? The problem is there's no conclusive evidence at all here. 
So you can kind of uh, assume what you want um, in that sense. What there is evidence for is that the cockpit and parts of the fuselage were peppered by high-velocity projectiles. So it could have been anything. So why, after all the Russians said about another plane being in the air and... Well, that evidence... uh, Well, one of the things the Russians have said in response to it is they've complained that the evidence that that they provided to the Dutch Safety Board was either ignored or not included. So... Um, there were a few pieces of evidence, one of which was the radar, the military radar data that the Russians gave, which included the, that bit about the Su-25 flying in the vicinity. That was just pretty much ignored in the final report. They didn't make any men- or they didn't uh, they didn't go anywhere with that. They just kind of dismissed it, and they favored the Ukrainian data, which of course didn't mention that. Now with the with the Buk missile system. You know, not being an expert myself, what it looks like to me is that everyone's just pretty much going along with that story. Um, the manufacturer of the Buk missile system did their own investigation, and uh, they've been doing it for a while. They released their first report in June, and the second one just the day before the Dutch Safety Board report was released. And they uh, agree with the Dutch Safety Board that it was this Buk missile. However, um, with a couple caveats. Now, first of all, this is where me not being an expert may hamper my analysis, but it looks to me that um, what they're saying is that they've identified certain um, damage to the plane, basically the shapes of the projectiles that go went into the metal of the ship that matched the that match the projectiles that uh, that are part of this specific Buk mess- missile. So there are a few different shapes of these fragments that that get expelled from the the missile as it explodes. And one of the points that they brought up was that the missile that the Dutch Safety Board had said that it was, um, was a variant, a newer variant that included these little I-beam shapes. Uh, They look like an H or an I, depending on how you look at them, or a little um, butterfly butterfly shape. And those, um, according to the Russians, they couldn't find any of those, any, any damage consistent with that shape. And so what they say is that the only missile, Buk missiles that don't have that shape were produced prior to or stopped being put into production in 1986 mm-hmm. before the fall of the Soviet Union stopped being produced. They have a shelf life of like 25 years and they were all decommissioned. So basically they were saying that Russia doesn't have any of these missiles anymore. Now, first of all, that looks to me like uh, um, simply presenting the evidence in such a way that it just dis- that it distances any Russian culpability in the attack. So it couldn't have been a Russian missile because we don't have them anymore, and they're all defunct. And the only people that did have them were Ukraine, because they still had all these, all these missiles that, you know, that they had from Soviet times. And Ukraine is saying, oh, well, we got rid of all of them, too. Like, we sent, to, we sent all our outdated missiles to Georgia. So Georgia did it. So Georgia did it. But, of course, um, you know, on either side, um, that, that doesn't really prove anything because you can still have some of these missiles just stashed away somewhere that you didn't get rid of. Mm-hmm. And um, there, were, there were videos and, uh, and pictures of Ukrainian Buk missile systems around, this time, around that time last year when it happened. And um, the, so, I mean, it could have been, if it was a Buk, you know, Ukraine could have had these specific missiles. Now, that's one of the pieces of data that the, the Dutch Safety Board didn't include 
possibly because uh, it came too late to get into the report. But uh, the, I think the Russians are taking the approach that, um, as you just said, Harrison, that absolves them of any involvement in it. What they're saying is that the only boot missiles that they have in production are missiles that produce a specific uh, damage pattern, and that damage pattern isn't seen on any of the damage of MH17. Therefore, it was not any of the Russian boot missiles. It could have been an older, they're saying it could have been, therefore, an older uh, boot missile that Russia does not have, but which the Ukrainians have, so the Russians say. But the important point is there, it could have been. The Russians are not saying that it was a book. They're simply saying, if you guys say it was a book, mm-hmm. then it wasn't one of ours because we don't have any of that type that shows the damage pattern to the plane that you guys have been investigating. It looks to me, or go on. Um, what's The problem here, obviously, is uh, one of perception in that the, these investigators, let's allow for a moment that they are genuine. These investigators are on the level. They're probably not, but let's pretend, let's say that they are. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they are, these Dutch investigators. There is no chance in hell or anywhere else that they would have allowed for the possibility that... MH17 was shot down by a plane, a missile from a plane or, um, you know, machine gun cannon fire from a plane that, you know, targeted the cockpit. Why? Because that assumes or implies deliberate intent. Mm -hmm. There is no suggestion anywhere in this investigation, even from the very beginning when uh, the Western press was peeing its pants the day afterwards with headlines such as Putin killed my baby and Putin did it and this and Even amongst all of that hysterical nonsense that came out immediately afterwards, which, which obviously was pure theater and uh, propaganda because there's no way anyone, anyone could have known it was all assumption. Um, even, even amongst that hysterical nonsense, there was no suggestion that anyone, Putin, or the Eastern Ukrainian rebels did this on purpose. So that's an important point. Nobody has ever assumed since since the day of the crash until now, or proposed, no one has ever proposed that this was done on purpose. If it was Eastern Ukrainian rebels, rebels supplied with a Russian missile launcher, they did it by accident. They were trying to shoot down a Ukrainian plane and it went wrong. So the problem here is that there is no accommodation in the amongst the investigators for the possibility that the plane was shot down on purpose. Clearly, if you have your eyes open and your head about you, you have some sense, you will understand. And if you understand the nature of you know, the way the world works, you will understand that that is a very distinct possibility given the geopolitical climate in which it happened. It's a very distinct possibility that someone decided to shoot down MH17 on purpose to demonize Putin. Why? That's exactly what they did immediately after MH17 was shot down. They immediately demonized Putin and Russia. The other part uh, problem with this is that 
there's a kind of the dog that didn't bark scenario, sort of, uh, for those who like Sherlock Holmes. Um, three days after the crash, uh, which was July whatever 20th, John Kerry told NBC's Meet the Press, he said that the U.S. State Department or the NSA or whatever, that they, the Americans, had picked up the imagery of the launch of a missile, of a group missile. He said, we know the trajectory. We know where it came from. We know the timing. And it was exactly at the time that this aircraft disappeared from radar. So three days after it was shot down, America knew exactly where it came from and therefore who did it. That's what John Kerry said. Strangely, that was not included in the report. Therefore, we assume John Kerry was talking complete and utter, complete and utter horse crap. He was deliberately talking nonsense, lying, whatever you want to call it. Because that's pretty categoric, you know. We have this uh, satellite imagery. We have this imagery. When he says imagery, he's talking about satellite imagery. The NSA has satellite imagery three days after the crash. We know we saw the, we saw the missile. We saw where it was launched from. We know who did it. But apparently uh, a year later, over a year later, and the investigation is ongoing and that just produces a final report, and they have no idea where the missile came from. So where did the imagery go to, Mr. Kerry? Does it exist? Do you have it? I would, I would think they do have it. Mm. But it didn't come from eastern Ukraine. And it probably didn't come from the ground either. So, you know, you see what we're dealing with here. This is just even talking about this uh, in terms of the way the media is presenting it is you may as well be talking about unicorns and bunny rabbits, you know. That's how far from actual reality it is. It's just talking around the point. Uh, this whole thing is in, immersed in subterfuge and lies and manipulation. No one gets the truth, you know. So um, we kind of stick by our original, which I just mentioned, our original thesis, which is that obviously the MH17 was deliberately targeted, deliberately shot down um, for the purpose of making Russia look bad, which is achieved. And the whole point of this is this final report is completely, it's irrelevant, really. And you notice also one of the interesting things about this report was that there was very a very muted response from the Western press to this, a relatively muted response from the Western press to this report, partly because it was very ambivalent or certainly didn't kind of like mm-hmm. slam dunk Russia and, and allow for everyone to beat up on Russia again. It was well, we don't know. It wasn't very sensationalistic at all. No, it didn't. It didn't have the you know the meat in it to kind of demonize Russia. So the Western press was just yeah. Final report. Here's what it says. Anyway, moving on. Which was strange, you know. Um, but of course, the other reason why you had such a muted response was uh, is that the goal or the point. Uh, of, of the shootdown of MH17 has uh, been achieved or was achieved within the first few weeks after it 
was shot down. Mm-hmm. As I just mentioned, it's, it began a day afterwards, which was Russia did it, Russia did it. So everybody knows already that Russia is to blame for the shootdown of MH17. That's been impregnated into the minds of people around the world uh, over a year ago. So the fact that the silly Dutch authorities come out with a silly report now that doesn't say very much is completely irrelevant to the whole point. This is a propaganda exercise. <coughs> Take your silly report and stick it where the Dutch sun don't shine, you know, because it's completely pointless, you know. I mean, who cares? Whatever. We know what you. We know what happened. We know what the point of it all was. We know what you. We know what you tried to achieve, and we know what you have achieved. So it's done. Let's get to the point here. You know, let's talk realistically about this. You know, let's cut the crap. So that's Amy Seventeen. Well, just back to the the topic of the Buk missile. One question I haven't seen answered. Maybe it's out there somewhere, but I haven't seen it. Is someone just asking? Well, what are all of the missiles? Um, and just weapons in general that might have this blast pattern. Mm, exactly. Right? Like, and then do like a process of elimination and say, okay, well, it could have been any number of these that have of similar course. fragments. Of but you don't see that anywhere. No. And uh, you'd think that that might be a question that you'd want to ask. Not at all, no. You wouldn't want to ask. <laughs> I think there was a Russian report along those lines. Of course. I mean, anybody who knows anything about missiles, anti-aircraft missiles, virtually all of them, and uh, there are many, they all fly to within a certain number of meters of a plane and then they explode. They're fragmentation missiles that pepper the target mm-hmm. with high-velocity high projectiles to kind of try and tear it apart and cover as big an area of the target as possible so you inflict as much damage as possible. That's right. pretty much all anti-aircraft missiles do that. So, but, of course, the whole narrative was established immediately afterwards. These, I mean, you know, it's a confirmation bias, you know, Mm-hmm. I mean, the narrative was established in the days and weeks immediately after the crash, and therefore the Dutch report is by definition biased. They're looking, they, they assumed immediately we're looking at a book. You know, they said, yeah, well, you know, obviously a missile, so it must have been a book because why it was shot down over eastern Ukraine, and what, what's in eastern Ukraine in terms of anti-aircraft missiles, it had to come from the ground, it must have been a book, uh, but we don't know where it came from. I mean, that's all massive assumptions. Yeah. But because they don't allow for this uh, rather dark and scary uh, hypothesis, which is that someone deliberately shot it down there, assuming it was accidental. If it was accidental, it had to come from the ground. It had to be a book. That's the only thing that was in the area at the time. Done. It's, such, it's just a farce. It's a joke. You know, I would like to have been there at the announcement of it. You know, I, would just have, I would just have laughed continually. Mm. Uproarious okay. laughter. At the report. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that they might leave open is that in the end, uh, the Kiev junta will be left paying the bills. Yeah, it's all about money at this point. It's, it's over and done with. It's about money. The whole point of this is, as you noted, as, as we noted, um, the, the report itself, to the extent that it apportions any blame, says Kiev air traffic control, therefore. Kiev government was is responsible because it didn't shut the, close the airspace over a war zone. Uh, that is the point of saying that is who's going to pay the victims' families the million dollars or whatever they they want to settle for each, you know, two hundred ninety-eight times million, ten million, whatever. Uh, so it's, at this point, it's about uh, bilking someone for money for the victims yeah. and compensation for Malaysia Air, Airlines. 
or yeah. uh, damage reputation and loss of uh, revenue from people too scared to fly in Malaysian, Malaysian Airlines. Airlines. Yeah. So Kiev might get the bill. Kiev won't be able to pay. So Kiev will turn around to Washington. IMF. Is there a provision in our IMF loan for MH17 damages? Please say there is. Um, yeah, it's. I don't know. It's um, the whole thing's a bit farcical, really. Like everything else these days. You know, they essentially fix the facts around the policy. You know, in the same way that uh, they did with the Iraq War, etc. Um, they established the facts mm-hmm. that were not really facts. They established the propaganda. It's kind of fixing the propaganda around the policy and claiming their facts uh, immediately after the the plane crashed. <clears throat> and then um, it was interesting that you said that Georgia. Has one of those book, uh, the only one that have has those book missiles because the Russians say it's an old missile. If that's what they're saying to the Dutch investigators, if you say it's a book missile, then the only book missile it could have been is an older version based on the damage pattern. We don't have them. I.e. Russia doesn't have them. Ukraine has them. Ukraine says no, we don't have them either. We give them to Georgia. Georgia's going, huh? <laughs> what the hell? I'm I'm not involved in this. What do you mean? Uh, but the interesting connection there is in terms of our thesis that it was deliberately shut down, which is a no-brainer, low, no-brainer that it was shut down deliberately. Newsflash, Dutch investigators, welcome to the real world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as you say, they have to work within well, the parameters that have already been set. Well, if they had any colonies, they might not, but yeah. I wonder if it was successfully... <laughs> Idea to blame George. He was flying the plane. <laughs> He's now in the Ukrainian government, effectively. Maybe it was he was flying a plane. He was trying to shoot down a uh, fire missile from his Georgian Su-25 uh, over Ukraine. He was trying to shoot shoot at the at the East Ukrainian rebels from his Su-25. But because he was and he was cursing all the way, and because he was cursing, he was spitting all over the cockpit screen, and he couldn't see, and he accidentally <laughs> shot down an M17. That's my theory. No. But the reason I'm saying, mentioning Georgia is, apart from the link to Georgia, that they might have that, they were the only ones with that kind of a book missile, is that the, the <clears throat> when the mention of it being an Su-25, uh, an older Russian-made um, jet, because the Russians in their initial radar data say that there was an Su-25 or mm-hmm. a similar plane in the area within a few kilometers of MH-17 at the time, um, that was our original thesis, and we hold to it today, that it was shot down by a jet, a rogue jet from somewhere. Uh, but there was a lot of debate at the time about whether or not an Su-25, which is an older jet, can get to the altitude uh, to shoot down uh, MH-17, uh, and whether it would have the advanced enough weapons, let's say, to, to do so. Um, there was a variant of the Su-25 called the Su-25KM, kind of codenamed Scorpion, and it was updated by the Georgian, a Georgian military con- uh, defense contractor, a military manufacturer, in league with uh, Elbit Systems from Israel. They updated this old SU-25 with a modern cockpit, uh, heads-up display, and all modern modern weaponry with much better targeting and all that kind of stuff. So I wrote about that at the time, if you want to look it up, uh, on SAD MH-17, something or other, um, last year. Um, that's just an interesting lead. Winky dink. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, we're going to move on to some other topic. Let's 
let's discuss the Canadian elections because mm, this yeah. is just gripping. And no. the, world, the world's focus is like right in there right now. Uh, Harrison, as a Canadian, can you tell us what's going on there? Who's going to win? Uh, no. I've I've really got nothing to say about the Canadian elections. <laughs> I have something to say about the Canadian elections. <laughs> Stephen Harper is the great Canadian version, Canadian. a quiet Canadian version of Donald Trump. <laughs> Except not as fun. Except you can't make as much fun of him. He's not so funny. You just feel a lot of irritation. And mm-hmm. well, the the latest polls are saying that. The liberals, which would, you know, there's the liberals, the conservatives, and the NDP, New Democratic Party. Aren't they all liberals? No, the conservatives aren't. Well, well, I guess they're, well, uh, no. Because <laughs> Harper's basically like a, a mini Bush, or he was a mini Bush, now he's kind of like a mini Obama. He's just a mini American, basically. And But apparently the liberals are ahead in the polls. With like something like seventy seventy something percent of voters projected to vote for the Liberal Party, mm. which wouldn't necessarily give them a majority government. That's the way Canadian politics works. You can get a majority or a minority, in which case you form a coalition or whatever. It's all very boring and uh, not very and nothing changes. And nothing changes. Yeah. But the point being that Harper has sold Canada, Canada, down uh, the Swanee for uh, in service to. The American Empire, basically, he's a Western capitalist, warmongering creep, just mm-hmm. like most of most other Western politicians. And uh, he did that. He's done that throughout his. Has he had two terms? Mm-hmm. This is his second term, right? And uh, so he's done that over the past what? Eight, is it eight years or ten years? But I I forget. Too long. No, it's, anyway, he's uh, all I remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's basically sold sold the soul of Canada uh, and hitched. Canadian wagon to the failing U.S. empire, which is a really bad idea. And at this stage, who knows? Um, I mean, if, if people remember in the past few years, have had uh, Canada has all sorts of uh, phony, fake terror attacks mm-hmm. um, and the nonsense rhetoric about war and terror, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, he's just—it's just—he turned Canada into politically into a carbon copy of the U.S. So um, it'd be nice if, if certainly if he gets booted out, yeah. but whether or not anything has changed because as most people should know uh, these puppet politicians are not the ones who set the policy anyway so um, uh, we'll have to see and on on major issues like who, you know there will probably be some differences there always are some differences when you get a new administration in but on the things that really matter and the, the big picture questions there's you know nothing ever changes right. and all three major candidates have said for example that they're all going to be equally tough in Russia, right? right so yeah. that's the we'll that's the talking point. Russia. That's the talking point these days. Yeah. In, you know, in the states, in you know the elections in the states and in Canada, and so they're all on point with that. And if you read Tim's article that Joe mentioned earlier, right, um, that gets into some. Well, the, the main point in the article is that there, Tim just lists all these um, members of the party across the across the country who have just made little innocuous statements. Let's say on 9/11 or Israel. Um, Israel, and it could be just some tiny thing on their Twitter from a few years ago, and of course they all. Someone has gone back through the records, yeah, and said, "Nope, him, no, you her, can't say that off the list." Someone, you, 
shouldn't have said that. Oh, yeah. Someone has purged them all, basically. Yeah. Purge or, party members who are telling the truth. Or they sign their uh, their confession. Right. And they say, oh, I'm very sorry. I don't believe that anymore. That was before I, I uh, you know, was brainwashed by the right, yeah. party. The Soviet states of Canada. Yeah. I was back when I could think for myself, but yeah. I don't do that anymore. So I'm really sorry for ever thinking for myself and ever telling the truth. And I will never, I promise, never, ever do it again if you elect me as your truth-telling representative. So, uh, yeah, there's a party line in Canada. The, but, yeah. The Empire's other barking dog, its poodle on the left across the Atlantic, uh showing possible signs of wanting to unhitch from that empire. Who? Who's this? The Brits. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Dream on. Well, they're playing something here because uh, the Chinese leader Xi Jinping is going to Britain this week for a four-day visit. And uh, the British financial press especially are full of stories about massive trade deals in the pipeline and not literal pipelines from China to Britain, but in other forms, in other areas. British Petroleum BP to strengthen ties with China, jointly develop projects in China itself and elsewhere in the Middle East, West Africa and Iraq. We'll see. Um, but there's another one where Britain, which basically shunned nuclear power about three decades ago, is suddenly... a Potentially this week, going to sign a massive deal with EDF of France and China's nuclear power company to create two brand new British nuclear plants. There's also talk about a $50 billion high speed rail network, a complete overhaul of Britain's train system built by China. There's also talk about another $100 billion investment in, they don't name what it'll be, but it sounds like massive infrastructural project, primarily in, in, in energy and transport. Um, I don't know if it's just it's just nice talk before the leader gets here, our dear leader from China, but they really are kissing China's butt. Uh, it's sickening to see because, of course, no Britain's track record, extremely dodgy, perfidious, untrustworthy, but the Chinese seem to be happy to make friends and do business with whoever. Mm-hmm. Well, whoever's willing to. I mean, just three weeks ago, we had Chancellor Osborne over in Xinjiang, which is in the west of China, saying um, uh, the UK and China are entering a golden era in relations and that Britain wants to be China's best friend in the West. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's very different from, well, business is kind of different from uh, ideology in that in that respect. It's, um, but I would suspect the British are, are doing this to try and, uh, and the Americans have, are on the same page because Jinping, Jing Jinping, uh, the Chinese premier was in, in, the, in the U.S. Um, about a month ago, had a state dinner and all that kind of stuff. So the Americans are the, the Americans and the Brits seems to be uh, seem to be attempting to court the Chinese, probably with a goal to, you know, st- establishing as much uh, as many economic ties with China as possible in an attempt to subvert or to water down 
the Russian-Chinese economic relationship. That's all they can do at this point. So they figure, let's go ahead and do it, you know, uh, try and court the Chinese away to the extent possible from too close a tie with Russia. But the real golden ticket for the Brits, what they really want out of this is, I think, a smooth transition from a euro-dollar recycling function that London currently serves us to a euro land recycling for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that is a kick in the face. That's basically saying if we're ditching the dollar. And if Britain ditches the dollar, it's one thing for Russia and China and others to, but mm-hmm. Britain is signaling the same thing. Uh, I think that's not in, in American interest. Well, it depends <laughs> on, on what the what the details of it are. You yeah. know, I mean, who knows the the the... The British are perfidious and always have been. The British elite are extremely perfidious and um, who knows what they're intending in terms of establishing these ties to get inside China to in some way, you know, manipulate China towards a certain end. But uh, I don't know. My bottom line is I don't trust the Brits at all, ever, in any universe, you know, so... um, I guess we shouldn't trust any of these players. No. At starting position. Yeah. Uh, there was some rumbling, grumbling in in Washington about this. This is in the Wall Street Journal three days ago. Uh, article uh, op-ed titled "The Price of Friendship: Britain's Quest to Become Beijing's quote best partner in the West has required sacrifices of moral principle." And <laughs> the author goes on to lambast right. Britain for you know doing business with China because hello Tibet. Taiwan, mm. Hong Kong. What about the democratic rights? Blah 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 blah. Um, but it was written by someone who's pretty a pretty senior um, propagandist in the Democratist International, the Neo Comintern, uh, Ellen Bork. She was a deputy director at PNAC, and is currently at Freedom Policy Initiative. It's basically a new version of PNAC. So, yeah. Um, we have Kent on the line here. Hi, Kent. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, uh, I had a couple of questions going back to some previous topics, but I'm sure the Chinese uh, don't trust the Brits as far as they can throw them, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. going back to the uh, the uh, plane thing real briefly, I... Um, I formed my opinion immediately when it happened, what it was. It was a setup for Russia, but what's amazing, and I haven't really covered it too much, haven't paid attention to it, although I know there's been a lot of talk. But what amazes me is we've heard a lot of talk about this Buk missile, which I believe is spelled B-U-K. Mm-hmm. And there's another three-letter word that some heard about, B-O-X, as in black box. Isn't that amazing? I mean, mm-hmm. the black box should tell us of all. I mean... I tell us everything, and uh, I want to ask um, uh, your uh, Canadian guest here. I used to follow, used to listen to the CBC and RCI on shortwave before they terminated, and um, it just happened. It cut off about the time that they had the previous election, and there was a major scandal called the robocalling scandal or something, and I never heard the outcome of that, but that seemed like a really serious case of election fraud and, you know, Harper, where people were, massive amounts of calls were people were 
Provo Ball is directing people to the wrong polling places and everything. And I was wondering what, if your, your Canadian uh, host there, uh, had, fill us in on what happened with that. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't, I'd have to research that because I don't really remember um, what all the details of that. Um, but, you know, maybe yeah. uh, next week we can come back to it and I can look it up and give you a, a real answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would yeah, say. I mean, well, it, seems, it seems like a it seems like a pretty standard uh, kind of voting fraud operation that happened 2011 during the uh, Canadian federal election. It was basically uh, voter suppre- voter suppression. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, but it happens all the time. It happens all the time, and if those people, if there's no real investigation, and you can you can bet your ass that in the wonderful Western democratic countries. If there's ever any any whiff of or any suggestion of the democratic process being subverted, there will be absolutely no real investigation into it. Because you know what I mean. That's what our whole our whole self-image is based on. You know that we're so wonderfully democratic. You uh, expose expose the fact that uh, democracy is a sham, and even to the point of messing with elections and engaging in election fraud. Well, then you know people will just have nervous breakdowns all over. All the way west, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100. percent But and uh, that's what really shocked me because uh, I I kind of thought uh, more favorably for our neighbors up the north, and I thought, well, I'm I, surely that can't happen in Canada, you know, because you know, but I guess it can, and I, I that Canada yeah. does, mm-hmm. and it just sort of gets swept away, you know. So. Mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Well, in a sense, I think Canadians are more they're more pushovers than. Uh, than the Americans, because you know, it's one of those countries where the self-image is one of you know being a great democracy and everyone's nice and friendly and and everything's just fine and dandy. And so when something like this happens, it's a lot easier just to kind of ignore it or um, just not really look too deep into it because that threatens the self-image of of Canadians and Canada as being this dem- democratic. Um, you know, golden age country, this Atlantis in the north or something. But um, so Canadians, I think they're not really the type to, um, you know, they're not like the French who will get out and, you know, pour uh, manure on the, the steps of the, the local administrative buildings or anything like that. Like that's, you know, Canadians, are, they're easy going to the extent where they'll just let anything go pretty much, as, at least that's what it seems. I mean, we've had Harper as Prime Minister for so many years. I mean, what other sign do you need that Canadians are kind of spineless when it comes to, uh, you know, pointing out what's wrong with their own government and doing yeah, something Well, about that's it. what I thought. I thought that was such an obvious case of, and considering the fact that, like, I agree with you, like it got him another dose of this Harper character, I mean, if that couldn't mm-hmm. stir people up, I mean, no, nothing should, you know. I mean, he's just he's just the most atrocious sort of yeah. warm, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and like real loving and war-loving and everything. So. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. Uh, let's hope next week you have some good news. Maybe this uh, Trudeau yeah, guy is, apparently is making Bad up than Harper? his name. No, it's Trudeau. Uh, was it Pierre Trudeau's son's? One of the candidates, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. So maybe, well, anybody but Harper, I guess we have to hope for. So. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we'll have some good news next week. All right, thanks a lot. 
All right. All right, Ken. Thanks for calling. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, that robocalling thing was basically someone set up uh, in Canada in 2011 in the elections. Some uh, the Conservative Party, Harper's mm-hmm. Harper's Party, someone set up a uh, automated kind of computer automated uh, calling system oh, where yeah. it would call uh, basically all the voters, you know, ordinary voters, call their house numbers and tell, give them wrong information about a change in their polling station location. <laughs> so they went, everybody was running around going to the wrong polling oh, station and then, and then got there too late and a lot of people didn't vote. So it was like, uh, it gives you an example of, <clears throat> of what the strategy was. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it's trying, a ghost in the machine. <clears throat> rather than trying to sway people to vote for Harper, they're just trying to stop people voting against him. Well, that's how they've done it in the US. They just took hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of black people off the mm-hmm. voting registers. Yeah. That's the way democracy works. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, earlier on, I mentioned um, <clears throat> made a reference to fixing the facts around the policy, and that phrase comes from uh, a comment on uh, the whole Iraq war business, and uh, um, I think it came from the Downing Street dossier, Downing Street memo, which was a memo that was released uh, showing that um, Blair and Bush, uh, but well, the Downing Street memo I think was about. Um, was about the UK government um, deciding to fix the facts around the policy, i.e. Um, decide in advance that uh, Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and then go looking for the evidence that he had and when they couldn't find the evidence, make it up. Uh, but this week, just I think today, it was there was another memo mm-hmm. uh, released by the Daily Mail and it's been commented on by very few other... Uh, well, very few other uh, Western or English, British uh, news outlets, the, the Canadian, the Guardian ran a bit of a story on it. But the Daily Mail, I mean, it's it's 90% crap. But now and again, they they, they produce this kind of thing. Um, and it's a new memo from uh, 2002, a year before, uh, more than a year before the Iraq invasion. And it was called from Hillary Clinton's emails on her private server that some U.S. court has decided had to be released because there's this whole brouhaha about Hillary Clinton and her emails that's tied to Benghazi. I mean, there's a whole backstory behind that and what's really going on, but basically uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, not private emails, but emails that she had on a private server, 30,000 of them or something, and some of them have been released, and in amongst them is a memo from Colin Powell uh, to George Bush one week before Colin Powell, who was Secretary of State at the time, or Secretary of Defense? State. Secretary of State at the time in 2002. He wrote a memo to Bush one week in advance of Tony Blair's uh, love-in with Bush at his Crawford, Texas ranch, where basically they, you know, Blair and his scary wife and children came and visited the bushes and hung out and chopped some wood. And but they had this private meeting, and there's a lot of speculation at the time or afterwards about what they talked about. They were basically making a deal in blood on a rack that they were going to get a rack one year before the invasion. Mm-hmm. And uh, this memo that was sent from Powell to to Bush in advance of of Blair coming, uh, it pretty much said that it's, 
It's nothing new, but it's been presented by the Daily Mail as shock, horror. Oh, my God. New memo reveals that Blair and Bush decided to invade Iraq before um, they invaded Iraq. <laughs> and, of course, it's not only that that's a no-brainer, but also there have been several other memos. Uh, there's a White House memo. There's the Downing Street memo that more or less all say the same thing, that these two idiots got together uh, and decided to fabricate a case and bamboozle the public about Iraq's weapons of mass destruction so that they could justify an invasion. Uh, in fact, there's, I mean, there's this, if, you, if you remember back over the past 10 or 15 years, there's been several of these memos that have come out and there's this Chilcot uh, report or inquiry into Blair and we weapons of mass destruction and the Iraq invasion that is meant to be published next year that is supposedly going to, you know, expose Blair and stuff, but we'll wait and see. Um, so this is common knowledge to anybody who has neurons firing, but um, uh, this is just one more that presents the, uh, the fact that uh, the decision to invade Iraq, in this case, was taken a year before the Iraq invasion. Uh, but there's another one, as I mentioned, the White House memo uh, that was in early 2003, about a year later, just before the Iraq invasion, where um, they admitted more or less that they were going to massage public opinion, blah, 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 and even to the point of, um, and this is an interesting point, uh, Mr. Bush told Mr. Blair that the U.S. was so worried about the failure to find hard evidence against Saddam that a thought of flying U-2 reconnaissance, reconnaissance aircraft planes with fighter cover over Iraq and that these U-2 reconnaissance planes would be painted in UN colors. And if Saddam fired on these reconnaissance planes, he would be in breach of UN resolutions. And therefore, they would have, in theory, UN backing for the invasion. So it's an example of just the extent to which uh, they were willing to go, uh, which what I just described there is an obvious false flag uh, operation where literally you paint uh, U.S. drones, U.S. reconnaissance aircraft in UN colors and entice, uh, well, he says, if Saddam fired on them, he would be in breach of, in, of uh, UN resolutions. But of course, the Americans could have fired on them themselves and said Saddam did it. That's only one step away from a really clear-cut uh, false flag operation there, but apparently they didn't go Shades of Operation Northwoods. Yeah. You course, two, uh, I'm getting a 50s flashback. You two, are they still operating? You two, no, not you two, UN. UN. You, uh, no, sorry, you two reconnaissance aircraft, yes. Uh, but they're obviously updated, you know. Um, but the thing about it is, is the way the media presents this is, uh, even though it's a revelation of Bush and Blair being a couple of liars, they present it as the two of them got together as the commander in chief and the poodle in chief got together and decided this themselves. Hatched a plan. And not only that, but when they're in this Crawford ranch in 2002, having their love in, they didn't even allow advisors in to their closed door meetings. It was just mm -hmm. the two boys. And they were saying, we got to do this. Let's work it out. You and me needs to know. Uh, that's the yeah. ima that's the image the image that is presented. God was talking to Bush's left ear and talking to Blair's right ear. Satan was talking in this yeah. Blair's right ear. Uh, so, but that's just a, a, a load of nonsense as well because these two people are just poodles. But of course they would have they would have the, the, their advisors and the the spin doctors 
in the US and the British government would have decided, let's put these two in and let's make it look like they are the deciders, because that's very important, particularly in America, but also in, in, in Europe, in terms of democracy. Uh, they, they want the public to believe that the president makes the decisions, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have them in there talking and developing policy, even if it's exposed as, you know, they were fabricating evidence and lying to the public. Still, it supports the idea that the, he's the commander in chief and he makes the decisions. He's got the hotline, the Batman and stuff, you know. So, um, but of course, the policies don't change as these puppets, puppet idiots come and go type of thing, you know. And obviously, there are people. Uh, feeding them information. The idea that Bush would be able to sit in his Crawford Ranch with Blair and decide mm. on the intricacies of invading Iraq mm. and what to do in Afghanistan. So the guy can't yeah. spe- couldn't spell most of the... Two the, years after he couldn't name the capital of France, I think, or Germany. Right, yeah. Well, one of the lines in the memo... So the memo, memo was from a week before the meeting, right? Yes. So one of, the, one of the lines in the memo is telling Bush that if if it uh, if there's any engagement with Iraq, any kind of military involvement, then uh, Blair will be behind it 100%. Mm-hmm. So kind of like telling Bush that we've got Blair, you know, he's on board. So I mean that right there, the fact that that he had to be told that before this one-on-one meeting. I mean, there's surely more uh, more let's see string pulling and you know people telling him what to say and what to do, but. Just the fact that he needed to be told that. I mean, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be something that you'd discuss, you know, in person, or that if you're really deciding things? And if mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, of course. And even even this is only a tiny part of the story. It's just a little peak, and it's mm-hmm. it's still not anywhere close to the real truth. But because of course, the Iraq War was planned. There's there's yeah, there's we, evidence well, that Iraq War has been planned in 1998. PNAC, the the mm-hmm. neocons were very explicit about them needing to be to project the um, the U.S. military, their their power and control into the Middle East mm-hmm. to secure the region. They were writing about this in 1998, and that they wouldn't be able to do it unless they had some kind of a catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. So in 1998, the neocons were clearly planning to invade Afghanistan and Iraq five years before mm-hmm. the invasion and. Three years before 9-11, they were talking about the need for a kind of 9-11. I wonder how that's going to happen. Just incredibly lucky that it came along, of course. Uh, for all the coincidence there, out there, that's how it happens. You know, it's just a really lucky break. Um, but, of course, you can go back to 1992, 1982. So 20 years before, 21 years before the Iraq invasion, and almost 20 years before 9-11, the Israelis were talking about the need to break up Iraq into three separate uh, districts and talking about doing the same thing to Syria. Mm-hmm. So all of these, the fact that these people were talking about this uh, 30 years ago, talking about what's happening in Syria today 30 years ago, is a complete coincidence uh, in terms of the fact that it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear someone talking about something and you see that person doing that, there's no relationship between those two, you understand. Right? Right. I want everybody to understand that quite clearly. There is no relationship when you see people plotting to do something and then somehow managing to get away with doing it by lying to everybody. That's just an accident. Uh, can I go on record as saying that? Yes. Okay. It's done. 
what can I speak to like CNN or someone? These are not the strategy papers. You believe they are. And the question here is, Blair has come in for so much crap over the past, oh, since 2003, particularly in the last you know six, seven, eight years. He's demonised, particularly, and nobody likes him in the UK. Even they all love to hate him. But Blair still charges a hundred grand for a one-hour speech to a bunch of bankers and entrepreneurs in the US and Singapore and wherever else he gets to, all around the world. He's raking in the cash. Even China. Right, so he's raking in loads of money for blathering on about something uh, from, uh, to these high flyers in business and politics. So the question is why? How can there be such a divergence between how the extent to which he is hated by the ordinary people, but yet that doesn't seem to filter up to these politicians. What, what value do they, see in, do they see in him? Uh, and I think the problem there is that most of these people uh, that Blur would be talking to have all been in the know. They're all part of the reality-based community, which is that this is the way things are done. You know, I mean, the U.S. is an empire and it has to go around invading other countries and stealing their resources and overthrowing governments and do, doing, being essentially the, the antithesis of spreading freedom and democracy. Exactly the opposite of how they present themselves. All these people at this, this elite, let's call them, business political elite, all know this and have known it for decades. So the fact that the people are kind of reeling at the shock of, oh, Blair lied to us, I, Bush lied, oh, Obama's not telling the truth, I thought it was freedom and democracy, they're all just laughing at you. You know, I mean, they live in the reality-based community where that's how business is done. That's how, you know, business is done through war, essentially, and killing people. And if you have to break a few eggs to make a nice, you know, diamond-encrusted omelette, then no problem. That's the way it's always happened. That's the way it always will be. That's how it's done. No problem. They know that. They're happy with it. It's fine. It's reality. The rest of us are meant to uh, content ourselves with a diet of horseshit, freedom and democracy, and unicorns and bunny rabbits. And when the first little inkling comes out that unicorns don't exist, and that in fact it's the devil himself, you know, representing us up there, we all freak out and get up in arms about, you know, oh my God, they lied to us and stuff, you know. So it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a sad situation really, you know, um, that so many people are in that position, you know. Of course, there are people... This, this is a small percentage of the population actually are awake to the fact that even reading the news about, oh, finding out, finding out for themselves that Blair or Bush lied to us or Obama lied or Obama isn't doing what he said or Obama killed all those people in a hospital. How can this be and stuff? That's a very small percentage of the population. The vast majority of the rest of them are even worse off in the sense that they have no idea that any of this is even happening and they're not interested. Who's Obama? That's the point. Blair? You mean the Blair Witch Project? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I want to say something else about uh, China. Mm-hmm. Just in contrast to the, the British deal this week, that may or may not go down. Uh, the U.S. is probably talking hot air, but they're talking about sending warships to the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically to this area where the Chinese have been dredging up and building, basically creating islands out of the shallow waters there 
mm-hmm. and sticking air bases. Islands in the stream. Yeah. That is what we are. Um, the U.S., I mean, I just a little hunch, but I have a feeling that their prediction explicitly stated in this New York Times editorial, I think, uh, the, the U.S. is so unbelievably arrogant. Their prediction is that they will go there and show China that we mean business about protecting the rights of shipping navigation in the South China Sea, mm. and that China will do nothing. Yeah. Just just sit and watch and do nothing. I have a feeling that China might bite if they do do that, if they actually send ships down there. Mm-hmm. That could be the next uh, development along America's, the lines of what Russia did in Syria. America's, America's problem is that it's used... Um, it's like the boy who cried wolf type of thing, you know. They've already used their we're doing this for freedom and democracy and to prevent the evil dictator from killing his own people. They've done that multiple occasions and everybody in the world uh, that's awake and so you can assume here talking about politicians have seen if they ever had any doubt, they now are in no doubt that's a load of horseshit. That it's bullshit. So when America comes along and says we are going to protect shipping in the South China Sea, uh, the Chinese all have a good laugh. Kind of like Putin had a good laugh at that reporter who said uh, NATO missiles aren't aimed at Russia; they're aimed at Iran, and he nearly, he nearly peed his pants. Right? Yeah. And that's the response these people get when they say that. I wish the whole world would just wake up and start laughing in the face of these people when they say this stuff because it's like it's like someone who has completely discredited has exposed themselves as an inveterate liar a pathological liar coming out and using the same lies that he used to to you know that, that everybody suffered from on multiple occasions and he's coming out with the same lies again with a really sincere face yeah. i mean laughing is the least of what people should do you know there should be you know, shoes and kitchen sinks and stuff and whatever else is not, you know, screwed down should be thrown at these people and then they should be thrown off a cliff because it's just, it's absolutely intolerable at this point. Yeah. And for them to even try that on, it's not only that you're being lied to again, but they're insulting your intelligence to stand up there as an inveterate, known inveterate pathological liar who has used lies to manipulate people into supporting wars that kill people is now going to stand up again and say the same thing again. I'm I'm looking forward to watching them try. Yeah, do something. Go on, do it. A day, send a warship straight bl- into China's backyard. See what happens. The only thing America has at this point is 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 hot air. Yeah, and that's what they're using. Hot air. They're, they think, well, we can't actually back up what we're saying anymore because you know we've been kind of cut off by the Russians and and stuff. So let's just fall back on threats, hollow threats. Yeah. Before it could back up its threats with military force, not can't to the same extent anyway. Certainly not anywhere where Russia is involved and certainly not anywhere where China is involved. So hot air is all you get. Speaking of warships, the U.S. moved its only aircraft carrier out of the Persian Gulf in the last week or so after mm-hmm. Russia started their campaign in yeah. Syria. And they said, of course, they said it was, uh, I don't know if they gave an official explanation, but... Uh, it was either the speculation or the explanation that it was for repairs or something. Yeah, silly like that. But because it got scared, they yeah, got chased out. American warships uh, tend to degrade <clears throat> um, from because 
they carry a lot of freedom and democracy, you know, mm-hmm. and that has uh, the sheer weight of it. The sheer weight of the freedom and democracy that they're that they're delivering to people has wear, uh, caused a lot of wear and tear on the ships, and they need to be repaired now and again. So, I mean, that's that's what's not being said. They just say it's for repairs. But what they really mean is is kind of freedom and democracy repairs, you know. Yeah, that that's why there's been an increase in rhetoric and bullshit. Mm-hmm. They're resupplying the ships with freedom and democracy. Yeah, they're running low. Mm-hmm. They're just opening another vein, you know. Here, world, what, what do you need? <clears throat> what is it you want? I just have your best interests at heart. What, what can I do? Do you need another vein opened up? Here's my blood if you need it. Freedom and democracy blood. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole world is saying, go home. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, okay, we're coming. Hang on, we're coming. <laughs> yeah, so... um Joe made a couple of serious predictions that we had some very funny articles confirm those predictions uh-huh. in the last few days. There's the first one from his article two weeks ago. So as a thro- when I first read, I thought, oh yeah, that's a good throwaway comment just to wrap up your article. It was on the the one you did. Russia establishes no fly zone for NATO planes over Syria. Pentagon freaks out, that one. And your last paragraph read, it's really unreasonable of the Russians to risk adding about 30,000 more ISIS jihadis into the mix, most of whom, as I speak, are frantically shaving off their terrorist beards and heading for Turkey and safe passage to Germany. And then somebody, I, I think the source is a Lebanese source, but anyway, it was picked up by Sputnik and even Breitbart in the States. Um, Here's a report. In the face of heavy Russian airstrikes, a number of ISIS militants have reportedly fled, fled to Turkey from Syria by shaving off their beards and dressing as women to pass unnoticed. <laughs> yeah. Mounds of shaved facial hair have been discovered in Aleppo, Syria, along with discarded packets of Syrian razors. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's funny. That... That's a great prediction, Joe. That's well, what, I mean, it's nailed nailed it. to me that that's what they would do, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, th- just the week before the airstrikes started, well, less than a week, on the 23rd, uh, the Daily Express had an article that said that uh, that ten men and five women were being threatened with execution by ISIS in Syria for straying away from the strict ISIS regime of uh, you know controlling every aspect of everyday life. So the women were each fined five thousand Syrian pounds, uh, about seventeen U.S. or uh, uh, British pounds, and ordered to buy a burqa or face the punishment of death. Um, so this is according to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, you know, that guy that's operating out of his apartment mm. in the UK. So this is what he's saying. And uh, the guys, the, the 10 men were threatened with execution for shaving their beards, apparently. Mm. So um, I just thought it was really funny that the week before the Russian uh, airstrike started, that there's this, just, uh, like, you know, it's a, probably, uh, this is obvious propaganda article about... Um, how ISIS is threatening people with executions for shaving off their beards. And mm-hmm. then uh, we get these stories where they are allegedly doing just that. And of course, I mean, there are obviously a lot of real um, fanatic nut jobs like operating in Syria and, you know, numerous countries around the Middle East and elsewhere. But a lot of these guys are like Muhammad Atta and a lot of the mm. alleged 9-11 hijackers. They're not real fanatics. No. I mean, they're intelligence operatives. And well, yeah. 
or or um, uh, no, assets or yeah. patsies. These people are so lowbrow, yeah. so low-level intelligence for well, not They're, intelligence, but in terms of low-level human beings that they'll adopt yeah. any ideology. And, and the same mm-hmm. as evangelical Christians in the West. I mean, you, if, you know, they're hopped up on them. A form of a methamphetamine yeah. or captagon. Yeah, these people. Copious amounts have been thrown at the region. I, I wonder if that's actually what the U.S. drops in. Yeah, they're like zealots for a cause, you know, and they'll just mm-hmm. adopt a cause, you know, and they'll as quickly drop it yeah. when there's a first sign that they may be getting in trouble for it, and they'll mm-hmm. turn, they'll turn, they could turn Christian, you know, ship them over to America and they can join Pat Robertson's outfit, you know, and they make really good. They fit event. right in. I mean, these people are just. Um, we'll have Jonathan on the line here. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, how are y'all doing? Pretty good. How are you? Yes, I'm, I'm enjoying your show today. And um, I picked up a few things by, by engaging some uh, some research uh, on the Internet this week. And my the subject that I'm researching, of course, I'm, I'm attending to the uh, reactions to the Russian move into Syria. And I'm just really uh, – I'm just really having great fun – just looking from across the spectrum of the liberal to the conservative institutional think tank journalist opinionators of uh, elite. I'm just enjoying, you know, their uh, reactions to what has happened because we've just had, we've just experienced a, a huge game changer, and um, the reality hasn't set in yet um, of what I uh, what I see as the the longer range goals uh, here with respect to Russia and Iran. And also, um, also Iraq and Lebanon. And this is going to be the uh, the Shiite crescent. And um, you know what? I also suspect is um, no. And I I may be wrong, but um, I suspect that what happened in um, the meeting with Netanyahu, I also mm-hmm. and, and also the meeting with the the Saudis, the young Saudis that went to Sochi. What I suspect is Putin. Set him down, really nice, cool, calm. He says to Netanyahu, "Man, we've got so many, such a tradition of like Jewish people in our heritage as Russians. You know, we totally support Israel. We're your friends. But I'll tell you who's not your friends. And then, and then he starts pulling out photos and documents that show that undeniably the United States is behind um, ISIL, right? And he goes." Um, and he goes to these people, like, and, and the Saudis, the same, right? And he goes, look, here's what's going to happen. This dollar, the dollar is going to collapse. The US, U.S. economy pulls out just basic figures. U.S. economy is going to fall. China, um, we, we as well as China have been, been accumulating huge tonnage of gold. We're, gonna, we're going to back the, uh, the, new, the new platform is going to be the renminbi. Um, which, by the way, mm-hmm. they're setting up a uh, they're setting up a uh, an outpost, a uh, a kiosk for the Remimbi in London. So he's going to basically laying out like what's going to happen. He's like, look, we know we know you got to play the game, and you got to like cry and whine, and you got to like not be happy with what we're doing when we back up Assad, and we we also align with um, Iran. But really, you guys are going to be in much better shape if we cooperate in the long run and we play ball. And but 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 you guys go ahead. You know you can, you do all your theatrics, cry and whine, because you know the United States is not your friends. Their their rule is coming to an end. And and I believe what um, and I may be wrong. It, it may have not 
turned out like that may have been more subtle. But um, I see that um, the Saudis have kind of quieted down. Israel's not engaging in, like, huge tantrums and, and threats and all of that. Um, been kind of schooled, you know, with respect to, you know, hey, you stay out of the uh, – stay out of Lebanon and you don't come back in here. So – and I also think that um, it's still my hunch that in Ankara that that terrorist attack was um, U.S. ISIL. And it was meant to uh, prod um, this guy Erdogan to stay in line because Erdogan might have been might have been uh, about to jump ship in some way. Now I may be totally right. wrong about those things, but um, I, I believe think, that. I think. The... Oh, go ahead. I think on the Erdogan thing, Jonathan, you're you're close. Uh, we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, I think, and we came up with two, the two theories. One theory that it was. Uh, you know, internal and another that it was external or it was to put pressure on Erdogan. I think that's the closest one because there's been stuff uh, recently has come out about uh, that there were police, uh, the, 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 the Turkish police had uh, inex- low inexplicably yeah. failed to keep tabs on these the, the people who did it and stuff. So it suggests that there's some kind of a infiltration within the Turkish security establishment. And we can imagine who they are, who, who infiltrated them into it, you know, to put pressure on Erdogan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Else? Yeah, also, so, so it, go ahead. I'm sorry, Harrison. Go ahead. Well, just as a just to add to that, in the last week or so, just the last few days, there have been several other attacks. I mean, one in Saudi Arabia, there was an alleged ISIS attack, uh, a shooting of where five people were killed, and uh, another one in Iran, a drive-by two dead, and these were uh, attacks on Shiites during the Ashura festival that's going on right now, or uh, um, the religious celebration. And then, of course, there was the Moscow um, terror plot that was uh, stopped, before, you know, just in, in breaking time or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, six to 11 guys, allegedly, um, who had gone to, to Syria for training, and they'd been frequenting this Moscow apartment, and there was a raid on that. And uh, but specifically on Saudi Arabia, it's interesting that um, for for several months, I mean, we know that they've been funneling weapons and supplies and actual, uh, you know, fighters, terrorists into Syria for a long time now. But at least on the on the media level, they also have an ISIS problem. Just in uh, just in July of this year, they arrested who they said were uh, ISIS members, 431 guys they arrested and they said they were ISIS. So. Um, all of these countries that no matter how much they play ball with America, I think on some level they know that these these mercenaries can be turned on them too. And I'm wondering if a lot of these attacks that we've just been seeing last week are kind of efforts to keep these keep all these countries in line and uh, remind them who you know who's really in charge. Yeah, and um, I really I think that I really think that um, that Putin is um, really being really, really smart right now because um, what he's doing, he's really setting the, he's really stabilizing the countries in this area. I mean, big time. He's getting them on, it seems as though he's getting them on board, and the United States is, is feeling totally cornered right now because how, how else do you explain the just bizarre comments from Ash Carter? Um, we could call him Ass Carter, but that'd be Ash Carter, <laughs> but... Uh, but the bizarre comments that Russia better watch out—they're making a really bad move. 
because he's going to piss off the Sunni terrorists, and they're going to come into uh, Russia. That's kind of what Ass Carter said. I'm like, what? Mm. I mean, did you threat. hear that? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. A, it, it was a, it was a, one of these things that's supposed to be a voice of exasperation and concern, but really was a communication of a threat. And mm-hmm. um, they only do that. They only do that. Bullies only do that when they don't have just the means to get their way, because otherwise mm-hmm. they wouldn't say anything. They just make a move, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. And um, a, another thing that. Um, you know, I'm writing a paper right now, and it's on um, my own particular, like, heuristic. In other words, m- the model that I engage, that I'm developing the outlines of in this paper about um, a, a kind of like, you know, a, post, a post-postmodern interp- heuristic to interpret uh, world events and so forth. And um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, outlining some of, I'm outlining some of that in the paper. I won't go into any specifics of it right here. But... Um, you know, I really believe that um, we're we're in just a sea change event that's just monumental in in our lives for decades. This is a sea change event. It's become so. Reviewing the comments from the experts, the geopolitical strategists, from liberal to conservative, it's just really become apparent that they have their own cynicism and going along, covering the lies, not pointing out the contradictions. It's it's become so brazen that um, they just they've made their own bed, and they have no means through which any kind of belief system through which they could ever rise out of this hole that they're in right now. And um, I think that um, the situation with um, Putin and uh, his rationale for backing Syria really comes down to something very fundamental: it's international law. And uh, mm-hmm. by the way, on that on that topic, I was very surprised on Huffington Post, this ostensibly uh, liberal progressive, uh, you know, corporate site. They had a professor on there, like saying that how really Putin's rationale using international law is kind of like passe in Syria, which is kind of entertaining. And uh, but using international law, you have to have something fundamental as a basis to which to justify your actions, your rationale and then to build um, a community of trust, or at least, at least a semblance of trust among nations and people. Because without that, with, with this kind of system of, I'm going to say all kinds of pretty things to you, then I'm going to sleep with your wife, stab your kids. You know, that kind of the cynical, uh, you know, Machiavellian rationale that, that is just so uh-huh. totally degenerate. Is just yeah. totally failed the U.S. and they haven't recognized the broader outlines of how things are going to will probably develop in the coming months and years. But I would say uh, I'm, I'm going to get off the phone now. Let other people comment. But I would say um, a focus on the economy. I think that Putin and company are being very, very careful because they know the the next shoe to drop, the next major game change is going to be when the dollar falls off of its uh you know its superpower perch and then and then like wow you're going to watch events really really change it and reconfigure after that point so anyway I enjoy your show and um you know I'll enjoy listening to the rest of your commentary today bye bye
All right. Thanks, Thanks Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Bye. Yeah, I think he's, he's nail on the head in terms of broad sweep there. Um, but regarding Israel, though, mm-hmm. he did qualify, Jonathan qualified by saying it's probably more subtle than that. It's going to be for sure. Mm-hmm. I think Israel's reaction is visible in what's going on there right now. Mm-hmm. They're going nuts with the haphazard crazy-making idea that there's a third wave intifada happening and all Jews are being... Well, they're making their facts on the ground to confirm it. There was another... Was it an explosion today at a bus station? Mm. Four, five, six people killed. Mm-hmm. Someone's going around knifing people. Mm-hmm. Um, their new ambassador to the UN in a rerun of that ridiculous speech BB gave where he stands up there with a cartoon mm. is there in front of the press in New York. Daniel Allen, I think his name is, and he's got an image, he says, is being shown to kids, Palestinian kids, and the title in big, big bold letters is How to Kill a Jew. Mm. And this it's is got what, a picture what, of a human anatomy and then knives at different points around the this is what This is what the Palestinians teach their kids. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that's... They, I, they I have, their only rea- their strategy seems to be going... But that's beyond propaganda. That's just pure. Yeah. That's pure theater. I mean, it's outrageous, ridiculous, hysterical theater. And what I'm worried about is that it gains some traction with some people. Mm-hmm. And that's what concerns me about this world that I happen to live in. That it is full of crazy people. I mean, if that guy can actually do that, and people will believe him, well, then you know, I I start to think. I'm just going to wash my hands of this and walk away. You know what I mean? I'm not sure where it go. Like, if it was a flat earth, I'd fall off the end. I'd just throw myself off the edge of it. But I, I can't walk away because I'll just come back to where I started, you know? So uh, uh, maybe I'll build my own space rocket or something. But this place is nuts, really. I mean, objectively. I mean, by anybody's standards, that's that's crazy. That that guy can stand up there with, this is what they teach their children mm-hmm. for, like, what he's talking about. Uh, about four four million people or something. You know, uh, 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 well, maybe that's their goal is to come up with that yeah. outrageous shit where it just leaves you speechless, where you don't know what to say because it's so ridiculous yeah. that it doesn't. You don't. You can't think of any way to dignify it with a response. Yeah. Well, it, this is the bad thing about it. Um, at a time when common sense is back at the table, so to speak, mm. in, in, in the terms that Jonathan just described, where plain up front, no stab, I won't stab you in the back. When I sign a business deal with you, I mean it. I'll help you build your infrastructure if you help me in this area. Just when this is back, in a big way internationally, the problem is all these crazy people who've been primed, hystericized all these years, all these decades, in the system as it is, the subterfuge and the lies. The problem is those people will just go crazy in this transition phase mm. and it'll manifest in all sorts of horrible ways. The mm. most extreme example is what's currently happening within Israel and Palestine mm. as a reaction to Russia's common sense approach to Syria. Mm. Um, but expect that to multiply and spread, not necessarily from Israel, but it's happening already in other ways in the US, in Europe. Um, well, I think that uh, it's it's kind of a good thing that we've got crazies like the guy, you know, like this pic, this guy showing this picture that's just 
totally over the top because at the same time, things become more obvious when the truth is obvious. Now, there's an example of this that just happened. Now, this gives an, a mindset into the actual um, worldview and mindset of, let's say, some of the people ruling Israel and just Israeli society in general. This is a story um, about uh, that came out from Western Israel about a three-year-old Arab Bedouin girl in a Beersheba uh, kindergarten. And a father, a Jewish father at this, you know, the father of one of the students at this school, the kindergarten, he started this conversation on WhatsApp. And in it, he said that this girl should be expelled from the school, this little Arab girl, because, quote, scum must be isolated. He went on to say, as the discussion went on, she has no place in the Jewish state. She should study in her vir- in her village. Go to Syria. They love you there. Assad is waiting. So the girl's father then got in on the conversation. He tried to de-escalate it. And when he said that he was going to go to the media with it, this guy, this crazy father said, I hope they burn your village. F you and the media, you Arab dog. He went on to say, I hope your villages are closed off and they die from hunger. I'll tell you who you are. You're the slave of Jews. Clear out. And to all the parents who are sitting in who I know agree with me, I have one word to say to you. Shame. So mm-hmm. can I get, this is like from the horse's mouth. Yeah, but this those is, kind of people who will lead all exactly, the others. Exactly. And yet, you know, on the, on the other hand, you have some Israeli politicians saying, oh, this is what happens. This is what Palestinians teach their kids. Well, this is what, this is an actual Israeli father. And these are his actual words. Mm. And just look at that. I mean, when it stares you in the face like that, it's, it's pretty hard to deny. And I think that a lot of people see that. And I mean, that's why there is a lot of kind of grassroots support for Palestine. When you talk about, when I talk about it with people, for the most part, people agree with me mm-hmm. now. And I think that as, um, well, I think this Russian involvement in Syria is a game changer in a lot of ways, because for once you've got a government that is acting transparently. Mm-hmm. It's actually telling you what's going on, showing you the pictures and who knows, just because of the circumstances of what's going on, they're able to tell a whole lot of truth while mm. doing it. Mm. And that's kind of this revelation to people. Oh, my God. Wow. Mm. You know, they're actually, they're actually telling the truth about things. And people are so shocked by it. And I think it's, it's creating a climate where people, well, first of all, they're shocked, but then they're going to kind of get used to it. And then it's just going to be so much, um, so much easier to, to call out the lie when you see mm. it. Because for, for so long, it's just been all lies, and mm-hmm. you know, there hasn't been any real social proof. Yeah. Now you've got a, an actual country doing it. You know, to compare it to. Yeah. yeah. To compare the lies to. And so I, I, I just think it's going gonna, it's gonna to become just uh, more and more obvious yeah. as these things happen. So I don't think that Israel's in a very good position because they're no. doing the same thing as they've always been doing. Right. And that's, these are the very things that the U.S. is, being, is now being openly accused and um, being, they're being watched like this whole Kunduz hospital bombing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Israel does the same kind of things. So right. It's going to happen when that gets in the news again. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point. Yeah. I mean, this, this change, this uh, sea change to a certain extent uh, is going to, I think, have a lot of repercussions, mm-hmm. not just on the battlefield type thing, but in people's minds and the way they see things and the way, even like you're saying, certain things are reported in the press and the kind of uh, a change in, in focus uh, and possibly 
at some point, if Israel keeps on the same course that it's on, uh, an increase in pressure on Israel that hasn't really existed, despite what they scream and cry about. They've got such a free ride. But the problem is when pressure is increased on Israel, mm-hmm. because there's so many pathologicals there within the government, etc., uh, they tend to just keep doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. but only worse. Yeah, well, that's why the U.S. response is unbelievable and yet perfectly predictable. Mm. They have created the new Syrian Democratic Forces. Mm. Yeah. They just rebranded ISIS. I mean, no, they've been around forever. Yeah, they they were always yeah. there, and they're yeah. led by the Kurds and yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they started airdropping in weapons. And the people, yada, yada, yada. the people's front of Judea, or the Judean people, <laughs> or the Judean front. people's front. <laughs> Uh, um, I think I was thinking uh, there recently that um, behind all this Syria business, um, we, you know, there's there's a kind of on a practical level. Obviously, there's a practical there are practical reasons, very good practical, sensible practical reasons for uh, Russia taking care of ISIS. Uh, the Russians have been explicit about that themselves, saying that they didn't want. Uh, that there's 3,000 or more people from uh, former Soviet republics. I think, think 7,000 from from all, from former Soviet republics. Right, 3,000 from Russia yeah. itself. Yeah. Uh, mainly Chechnya, et cetera, who are in Syria now. And when when these guys are done, they're going to come back home and, and try to sow chaos in, in Russia, and they need to take care of it. And that's... Uh, that's um, that's very true, uh, but also in doing this, Russia is affecting the global picture and the the global um, the kind of the global climate, the geopolitical climate, uh, in terms of like we were just saying, presenting another option for many countries who until now only had one option, which was obey the empire or else. And now they're basically doing what Putin has been talking about for several years leading up to this, which is that he wants a multipolar world, i.e. options for people. Until now, it's been this unipolar world that America has been enforcing, where it's my way or the highway. And by doing this, Russia is making it clear that there are other options and, and that you can safely choose them. Uh, and, and you don't always have to go with the U.S., but... I kind of get the impression that just from reading those comments, I mean, there's a there's a little there's a little implication, I think, a further implication in the Russians saying that the reason they're taking they're attacking they're bombing ISIS is because they don't want uh, ISIS members from Russia to come back home. I think that part of the U.S.'s plan and its allies in in seeding all of this and creating this kind of jihadi mercenary army. Their goal was to, after Syria, to use them, to potentially use them for Iraq, or sorry, Iran. Mm-hmm. To that, you know, we, there's this guy, um, General Wesley Clark, who mentioned in 2007, uh, seven countries in five, five years, one of them was Iran, you know, Libya, Syria, Libya, Iraq, Syria. Um, Iran, um, Sudan, and Somalia, and one other. Um, but I kind of get the impression that this was kind of like an end game for. Um, when I say the U.S., I mean 
the kind of shadow government type, the ones that have a kind of broader mission type thing. Now, their goal was basically, yeah, to get rid of Iran uh, using this jihad, this fourth fourth generation warfare, mercenary proxy warfare, build up a big enough army that they could actually destabilize a country like Iran effectively. And then even, if necessary, Turkey, and ultimately to spread it, send them into, uh, into Europe. You know, well, and, and their goal is just that Central Asia, the Caucasus, the Caucasus into Russia. Yeah. In, well, yeah, exactly, yeah. into Russia, definitely. Um, but the next step would have been Iran and then Russia, yeah, mm-hmm. and then also give Europe a problem. You know, but this is their this is their insane strategy, basically, which is and and they I opted for this a long time ago, which is unconventional warfare, i.e., proxy warfare. But the problem, obviously, there is how do you build up a big enough force that you can control? We've got unlimited amounts of money here we can just print the stuff and before that all goes pear-shaped for us let's let's engage in as much destruction as possible let's destabilize as much of the, the important the strategically important countries to us as possible so that we are in a dominant position you know i mean that's been their fear all along has been these countries that formerly have been under the thumb and, and servants to them effectively would eventually throw off that yoke of serfdom and, and the U.S. would be in trouble. So rather than just accept that and try to negotiate a new settlement, they opt for set the place on fire mm-hmm. to one degree or another. Yeah. And that's what I think this, this, that, I, I think that's where it was going after Syria. And, um, and that's another reason to be thankful for Putin. Yeah, you know, it wasn't just about. I mean, of course, Russia was protecting its own interests, as it stated, in terms of not wanting these nut jobs back in Russia, setting off bombs and shooting people and murdering people and chopping heads off. But it wasn't just Russia who was targeted in that. So the Russia has done a service to a lot of people, ultimately. I think. Well, it's in Russia's interests to have other countries with which to deal. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. You can't destroy. You can't destroy everything because then who have you got to? cooperate with right yeah yeah there, there's a whole the, the chinese have a whole they don't talk about multi, multipolarity they they talk about being number one but not as a hegemon though mm-hmm. they just assume it's a matter of time it could be 50 years before they are the preeminent economy on the planet Mm-hmm. Right, but that's a natural state of affairs. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with a hegemon or nothing wrong with a a, a, a dominant country. I mean, the way countries are set up, there's going to be a hierarchy in terms of economic power just by the size and resources that a country has. But if that, if that kind of a natural order were allowed to develop, America would be way down the list. Yeah. You know, and the only reason America, America has ruled the world is by force, by running around and bludgeoning people into submission and stealing their stuff. Yep. Um, in terms of the the mask coming off, um, Russian journalists are now seeing more and more of what was left behind in Syria mm-hmm. as the front moves from west across the country. Um, but not just the journalists, of course. The the Russian military are also seeing things, and this is the second mm-hmm. serious prediction, Joe May, that I want to bring up. <laughs> Where we discuss the issue of what what about all these thousands or tens of thousands of U.S. sorties 
supposedly airstrikes against ISIS through the last 18 months. Uh, a Russian general has reported that they found this place near the Jordanian border, so to the south of Syria, where it was a small settlement and it was clearly bombed from the air, but they couldn't understand why this place had been targeted because there was no evidence of any military um, installation, even temporary one, at this location. Moreover, the territory had been in the hands of... Free Syrian army. Yeah, so I guess moderates since 2013. The area was never disputed. There, was, there weren't many clashes or fighting because it was so near to Jordan. It was more or less stabilized thanks to Jordan. Um, no signs of military hardware or activity. They were just regular gardens and fields with buildings to keep farming tools. Yep. And he asked um, this general, why destroy these buildings? And then Pat made the comment, it looks like somebody's pilots were just training their skills or dropping bombs to report to their command about completed missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what, that's what I was saying last, I think it was last week on the show, is that uh, the, the U.S. hasn't been bombing ISIS at all. You know, In fact, they've been bombing... Um, the bombing that they have done have, has been uh, of that nature, i.e., Blowing, blowing, blowing up uh, garden sheds and just agricultural fields and stuff like that with no one in them, or they've been blowing up um, power plants, electricity stations, yeah. water water plants, etc., for the specific purpose of impeding the advance of Syrian troops. Mm-hmm. So while they've hesitated or stopped uh, at directly attacking Syrian troops, they've been trying to impede their pro- process by bombing uh, electricity plants and water water treatment plants in areas where the Syrian military was either uh, w- w- was stationed or where it would advance to, mm-hmm. so yeah. they were ruining the ground in front of it so that they could that would make it more difficult for them to survive in a particular area because there's no electricity in the yeah. water. He speculated that that the idea was to drive out and create all these refugees. Yeah, by bombing places where there was no fighting as well. That's exactly. But he also said that in the last two weeks, so since the Russians have been in there, that they have witnessed U.S. airstrikes in against a thermal power plant in Aleppo. Yeah. But that, that's happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that they discovered the ruins of. No. He suggested yeah. this happened on October 11th, so just last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should do sneaky sorties. So the U.S. is in there in the sky in Syria yeah. right now, yeah. blowing up infrastructure. Yeah. But as, as, the, as, this, as the Russian campaign progresses, I think they're going to find lots more stuff, you know, probably U.S. military training manuals yeah. uh, <laughs> in areas where uh, ISIS ran away from. Um, well, isn't it funny how all of the propaganda points, all the all the slogans and uh, just talking points that the U.S. is using against Russia just happen to apply perfectly to the United States? So the U.S. says that Russia isn't targeting ISIS. Well, oh, it turns out that the, it's actually the U.S. that's not targeting ISIS. I mean, they're bombing the mm. desert and bombing farming equipment. And, oh, it's Russia that's uh, actually hitting civilians. Oh, there's no actual evidence of that. And yet, oh, the, you know, the U.S. bombs this yeah. hospital in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. The Saudis have killed over 5,000 
civilians mm, in yeah. Yemen. Yeah, rule of thumb is the rule of thumb is that Just whatever comes around. Out, whatever comes yeah. out of America is whatever they accuse Russia of doing. That's exactly what America is doing. And those dastardly Russians flying over Turkish airspace, you know, like a few inches over the border, and how dare they? And yet Turkey does it all the time. Um, Bombing sites in Iraq yeah, and Syria. And the U.S. – well, aren't there U.S. planes flying over Syria? Yeah. Um, how does that work? Yeah. Uh, against the wishes with, with yeah. no permission from the Syrian government. Yeah. So I'm, I'm confused. Yeah, I'm confused as well. Um, and those Russian stray missiles, you know, that allegedly landed in Iran? I mean, well – yeah, the U.S. does they, that. They're making stuff up, and it's it's gonna. The only people is well, substantially the only people it's reaching is Americans. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if they figure that that's all that matters. It, it's kind of important that they keep as many world leaders on board as possible. Mm-hmm. But when you have people like Karzai, who's now a former president of Afghanistan, but he would still have influence in that country. He can make a statement in front of Afghans and say, yeah, you know, the war on terror was an absolute disaster for us. And the sooner the Americans are gone, the better. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have at least a foothold among the elite of a country and their agreement that you should be there, the writing's on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... More evidence that you know things are going wrong for the empire, uh, that people are leaving them um, in droves, is that uh, Russia uh, news that Russia and Europe are going to launch a joint mission uh, to the dark side of the moon, and then um, build a base there on the dark side of the moon. And my sources tell, tell me that they've already uh, planned out a room for John McCain. And and Henry they'll Kiss, beam Pink Henry, Floyd. Henry Kiss, and blast it to him. All of the all of the neocons, George Bush and Tony Blair, are all going to have accommodation. Uh, it won't be very be a bit Spartan, but uh, it'll be on the dark side of the moon, custom built for war criminals. Speaking of John McCain, uh, no. <laughs> I want to do not invoke that name. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to do a Nam flashback. Uh, from McCain from 2013. Can you can you oh, yeah. find it there? It's on the playlist. It should be there. In the yeah, it's a good one. So this is uh, McCain's take on the Syria airstrike. Yeah. Senator, there are five U.S. warships in the Mediterranean right now. Russia and China allegedly are sending warships as well. Russia, China, and Iran have warned the United States of catastrophic consequences if the United States attacks Syria. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that it, uh, it doesn't concern me in the slightest. And why is that? Because they will not act, just as uh, they didn't act when, uh, when uh, the Israelis four times have taken out targets inside Syria. Syria said that they would react, and they didn't. The United States is the most powerful nation in the world, and we're not going to be intimidated by Russia and China. We are not. So I guarantee you that they will not act. If we, if we uh, uh, launch these strikes uh, against Syria, they will not act. Surprise! Uh, I just, I can imagine that his blood pressure went up when he saw <laughs> that, that Russia had acted, you know, uh, but I just hope Russia continues to do things that 
that he said they would never do or, you know, other people do things that he claimed they'd never do because there's a chance if, if we pressure on them and he'll have like an aneurysm. Or, his or, head will explode. Or his head will literally <laughs> explode live on CNN. Or he'll beg to be taken on that mission to the moon. Yeah. Or he'll just, he'll want to go back to Vietnam to his whole because people didn't contradict him there at least. The rats didn't contradict him. <laughs> um, yeah. So <clears throat> I think that's pretty much it in terms of our weekly news roundup. I just want to comment on some of the insane weather. Oh yes. On. I mean, sorry, we have to we have to talk about a little bit about the weather. You know, you know, we do this now and again, but you know, we do this full time on thought. I mean, look at it; it is increasing in tandem with with chaos and on all the other levels. Um. There, there were there was two two foot of rain fell in South Carolina last week, two feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was over a couple of days, but I mean, there are no historical records that that have come close to it. Certainly, no one alive has seen anything like it. Um, two feet's impressive. Right now, there's this typhoon that overnight went from category two to category five in the Philippines. They said. Because of the way the storm is situated and or there's another separate typhoon that's going to put it in a holding position. They're expecting 2,000 millimeters, that's two meters of rain in the Philippines in the next couple of days. Six and a half feet for anybody who likes feet. Wow. Uh, We've had a lot of snow in Eastern Europe in the last few weeks. And... There's a good chance this is the pattern that's going to be coming for the rest of Europe anyway for this winter. Uh, record early snow in Moldova, Ukraine, Romania, and not just you know a light dusting here and there, which you might get before Halloween, a couple of feet in places, uh, transport coming to a halt. Right. <clears throat> Expect major stuff in the eastern seaboard of the U.S. as well. Major uh, a flashback and probably worse than in previous years where you have major snowfall, snowfall in, the, in the West, Midwest, probably in, in many places in the U.S., but particularly in the, on the East Coast um, and inland a little bit. And for that also to coincide with similar weather patterns in Eastern, in Western Europe, because there seems to be a correlation there um, between the two, even though they're separated by whatever, 3,000 miles of ocean, seem to have, uh, it's almost like what happens in the U.S., particularly in wintertime, when the U.S. gets uh, a major cold front coming in with a lot of snow, uh, within a few days, a similar weather pattern emerges in Western Europe. If anybody's a meteorologist, they can explain that to me, how that happens, but I've noticed it over and over again over the past few years that uh, there's a uh, uh, coincidence of between East, East Coast U.S. and West Coast Europe. It could be a jet stream, or, but it's almost instantaneous, and relatively. Yeah. Speaking of meteorologists, can you name me a famous meteorologist, preferably American? Joe Bastardi. Joe Bastardi. Okay. Imagine Joe Bastardi. He's on the news every other... You see him on t- TV regularly. He's the guy who tells you how it's going to be tomorrow. Imagine he writes a book and says climate change is an absolute joke. That basically happened in France this week. France's top weatherman, TV guy, 
comes out with a book saying climate change is a fraud, and the French government are pissed because <laughs> Paris is going to be hosting the next UN global warming get-together right. about what to do to fix. We're all going to melt. <laughs> Annual general. Uh, he's been fired. Like, well, they said they just, you know, just temporarily suspended him. He's basically fired. So much for just to be Charlie and freedom of expression, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, note, however, that while he was obviously poo-pooing the idea that man may go up, well, no, no, he didn't. He didn't specify that he was saying there's no such thing as climate change. There's no such thing as extreme weather. He was saying that in general, uh, warming isn't the issue. No, more generally, he's saying that people, especially the government, saying that there's this apocalyptic, to use his word, mm. change in the weather coming, mm-hmm. climate, uh, is a lot of nonsense. So for him, it's more like nothing to see here at all. Mm. But he did reveal interesting details that suggest to me that the powers that be are trying to prime people to have a ready-made explanation for when those extreme weather events come to your area. He's saying that this guy's name is Philippe Verdier. So the TV weatherman in France is saying that back in June 2014, the French foreign minister, Laurent Fabius, summoned the country's main weather forecast presenters and urged them to mention, quote, climate chaos in their forecast. Mr. Verdier reports, I was talked by this discourse. Uh, Mr. Fabius then himself appeared in a magazine later uh, in France, the famous magazine, with the headline, 500 Days to Save the Planet. Of course, they're not going to save the planet, but the point is that they're hyping up in a big way. They, they're trying to get people to get out there and scream climate change, but always, of course, with the assumption that what we're seeing happening is a validation of man-made global warming. Right. So they're half right. They are kind of like in the background, uh, or, or they're revealing what they really and what 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 their what the data is telling them, which is that major climate change is on the way. Mm-hmm. But what they're pushing is a bogus cause. Yeah, because they, they need don't... people to have it when they start to see it right on mass, which well, is kind of happening on the very right. Well, they don't. What they don't want is anybody to engage in any serious research into why it's happening, what the real cause is. Yeah, because that would in, involve a kind of paradigmatic shift in people's awareness of it would mean planet can and save life. the planet exactly, mm-hmm. and they want to maintain the idea that it's human cause.
Take it away, Relic. Go on, Martin. Well, uh, greetings, fellow Earthlings. Uh, it's old Relic here with another half-dentacious edition of Pop Culture Roundup. I'm reporting to you today from my mud-stuckled log cabin deep in the heart of the muskeg on the icicle-strewn shores of Upper Lake Canada, where the mail gets delivered here only once a week by Arctic Snowplane, and our mailman is one of those Santa's drunken elves who's picking up a little extra work on account of the recession and all. Today, we're going to head down to one of them fancy espresso bars in Beverly Hills and see if we can't eavesdrop on a few of those celebrity hipsters who might inadvertently spill the coffee beans and let us grind up some fresh roast Java Jive gossip concerning all the latest foamy hijinks those notorious latte-sipping narcissistic pinheads who frequent the area. Which reminds me, how did the hipster burn his tongue, eh? He drank his coffee before it was cool. So... Let's take a look on the Hollywood interweb and see what kind of twaddle is being tweeted to the twirls tweens this week. Let's start by addressing the issue of celebrity gangster presidents. During his accepted speech for the 2015 Video Music Awards, self-indulgent flip-flop music producer Mr. Canyon West has announced that he plans on running for President of the United States in 2020. Now, some folks say that hindsight is always 2020. But if I had Canyon's particular hind in my sights, I think I'd prefer to use a 30-30. Ah, that'll fix em. Fix em good. Anyways, Mr. West pledged that one of his first acts as president is to rename the White House as the House, as in Jesus is in the house. And he also plans to rename the Oval Office as the Oval Orifice, in tribute to his wife's overly photographed famous derriere. When asked to comment on the possibility that his companion, the lovely Miss Kim Kardashian, becoming first lady, Canyon responded by saying, Oh man, she certainly wasn't my first, and she sure as hell ain't no lady. You know, I think Mr. Canyon West has a point. Oh, so instead of using the word first, why not just use number one? And instead of using the word lady, 
we could employ Canyon's flip-flop terminology and simply call her a hoe. That way, from now on, she would thus forth be known as America's number one hoe. You can't handle the truth! And that, folks, is how history is made. Political pundits across the interweb have speculated that this announcement by Canyon West was indeed a historic moment for America. Because with uh, Barack Obama being the first black president, and then if Hillary wins... <laughs> She would become the first female president, and then, if Canyon wins after that, he would become America's first openly retarded president. Oh, hold on a minute there. Uh, the producers are telling me that I'm not supposed to use the R word on public radio. Apparently, it's considered politically incorrect. So let's just say that he would be our first cranially challenged president of the United States. Although some may contend that George W. Bush fit that description rather aptly. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. And who am I to argue with that? In other news, Miss Miley Cyrus has been making headlines again recently when she gave an interview to LUK magazine claiming that she now identifies herself as a pansexual. Which I can only imagine means she's uh, sexually attracted to half-human, half-animal, hybrid beast creatures, like the immortal Pan, the god of nature, who has the head and torso of a man, but the hindquarters, legs, and horns of a goat. Miss Miley also has apparently expressed interest in doing some twerking with an actual centaur on account of its enormous horse-sized genitalia. And then she went on to admit to, to being ironically aroused by the idea of sharing a romantic three-way vacation with a sphinx and a mermaid on the island of Dr. Moreau. This unusual animal attraction can be explained, I suppose, on account of the fact that Miss Cyrus herself has the face of a magical pixie and the inflamed bright red puffy swollen buttocks of a female baboon in heat. True story. Continuing on with tawdry tales of interspecies love, UK's Prime Minister David Cameron was all over the Twitterverse recently after allegations surfaced that he, as a young student, put his flaccid willy-whacker into the mouth of a dead pig as part of a university initiation ritual. 
it kind of gives a whole new meaning to the term pearls before swine, if you catch my drift, and also seems to explain that peculiar British expression of why some politicians might want to put lipstick on a pig. Coincidentally, we now have an explanation as to why Prime Minister David Cameron's favorite dessert is a hot steaming bowl of spotted dick. When you think about it, having sex with an animal who is also dead can be described as both bestiality and necrophilia which gives us a whole new category of sexual identity, which Facebook describes as necrobestophiliality. Apparently, Mr. Cameron has plans in the works for a national pride parade to celebrate his new deviant sexuality and ask those who share in his peculiar persuasion to join his newly found movement bestiality among conservatives organizational network, otherwise known as bacon. Ain't nobody got time for that. And in our last, albeit semi-related story, Miss Lily Rose Depp, the 15-year-old daughter of Pirates of the Caribbean actor, Johnny Depp and French actress Vanessa Paradise has come out in an interview admitting that she is sexually fluid. Well, I'm not exactly sure what the hell that even means, but I'm I'm fairly certain that somewhere there's a special ointment that will take care of that. And thus, dear listeners, brings us to the end of another show for this week. And speaking of ointments, it's it's time for old Relic here to rub some right powerful liniment upon these creaky joints of mine so that I can manage to wrangle myself out of this well-worn rocking chair and head on off to bed. So until next time, kids, always remember, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. All right, thanks, Hot Relic. That was uh, very entertaining. Um, So we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Um, We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to our callers and to our listeners, of course, and to our chatters. Uh, We will be back next week with another show same time same place uh, we hope you can join us again see you next Until week then, have a good one bye 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 bye